Hi there, this is Jim the Keys Bartender coming to you from Key Largo. If you're not familiar with the Keys Bartender podcast, it's a podcast about bartending, bartending in the Florida Keys, life and life in the Florida Keys, kind of all mishmashed into one. If you'd like to support the show, remember we got Keys Bartender gear like hats, t-shirts, mugs, wine glasses, and stuff like that. All you have to do is go to the, our website, uh, keysbartender.com. And we'll have, if you go to bartender gear, uh, keys bartender gear or gear under keys bartender, you'll find all this stuff. It's a site that's supported by Shopify. So all the proceeds go to supporting the show. Thank you very much. Also, I wanted to talk to briefly. I do mention to you, I mean, I guess I, I don't know if I'm repeating myself or not, but this is the off season and it's slower. But what happens with that in September and October, we have some of our establishments, bars, restaurants, closed down for September and October. It's a multifaceted reasons why they do it. One is to give uh, the workers time off, vacations. Another is so they can do a lot of deep cleaning and renovation. So if you have a month, you could do some really good renovation, right? So that happens and it happens right after Labor Day and the week after Labor Day. We have places closed for two weeks. We have it for, for the month until the beginning of October, which we got another, uh, we got places opening up again. There are half the places closed and we got other places opening up again in October. A couple more places probably shutting down in October for this because Season really doesn't pick up until right after Christmas. But that being said, when all these places go, people are still want to go out and eat. We have locals. We have a local population here that needs to be fed, entertained, given libations. And we also have visitors that because of the advent of the internet and people checking, they, they notice that the rates in rooms and air travel and maybe car rental, all those rates have dropped and it's an affordable, uh, it's an affordable solution to coming down to visit the keys. Yeah. We were, the wife and I've been watching there's hotels that normally go for four or $500 down in Key West that are in the mid one hundreds now. Yeah. People are more responsive to the fluctuations of the market. And because of all the places closing down, our place is usually pretty good with locals and with all the places that are shut down and people that would have to go to our competitors are coming to us. And we've been having some great uh, Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays, even Wednesdays. Looking forward to it. And Sunday, I guess Sunday. I don't work on Sundays. Normally I am working this next Sunday evening. I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, usually uh, off season, you're just, you're, what you're looking at is lower volume. And obviously if you're in a service industry, you need to depend on tips with less people come less tips. We've been doing really well. We've been doing like busy season well which we'll probably have another weekend of that. And with the weather being a little hot and rainy, we do, I guess we do pretty well. We, we do pretty well. Now, what I want to talk about once again, I talk about speed, the need for speed when you're bartending, right? 
And one of the things that you really have to be mindful of is how you set up your speed rail. We call it speed rail because you put in all the liquors that you use most often are more frequently used. And it's usually your well drinks, your base vodkas, gin, rum, tequila. That's for us, your speed well. And you put that in front of you and it's more frequently used liquor. You want to have it in hand. And if you have a setup like a traditional bar, you'll have a soda gun or soda fountain, which is a soda gun. It's on a hose and it has up to like 10 buttons with all the different uh, mixers you have on there on ours what do we we have sprite coke ginger ale diet coke lemonade and a miss club soda and water and that's our main thing then lemonade is mainly you know mainly used for non-alcoholic drinks but every so often yet people do request vodka and lemonade. So to get back to the speed rail. Now, when you set up your speed rail, if you're like me, when you're a bartender, I do a, I try to do a double pour. When I get a list of drinks that need to be made, I'll set up my glassware. I'll set up my mixed drinks. I'll do the most complicated drinks first, like margaritas, rum punches, any cream drinks martinis and you get those all out of the way and then i do all the traditional drinks like rum and cokes vodka club soda tequila sunrises and things like that where you just line them up and you just pour your stuff and that's where the speed rail really comes in handy sometimes you have a couple vodka and sodas vodka and club gin and tonic rum and coke blah 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 and you just go down the line and you grab the liquors and you're you're using a soda gun and i'm pouring with my dominant hand which is left i'm pouring the liquor and with my least dominant my lesser dominant or my submissive my submissive hand that sounds kind of kind of uh pervy i know but um, you know, it depends on what you're doing with your hands. I'm not going to go any further than that. So but with my right hand, I use a soda gun. So I got the glass ice all set up. It's better to visualize that. So when I got vodka and sodas, I'm reaching over and I'm doing a crossover. Because normally, most bartenders, and this is just because most people are right-handed, I just assume most bartenders are right-handed. Right-handed. If I had left-handed bartenders that I worked with, I would set my bar up differently. But the way my speed rail set up, and I'm accustomed to it because everyone else is accustomed to it, I have, it's from right to left. It's the opposite of reading. So it's from right to left to to accommodate people that are right-handed, right? So you have vodka, then we have rum. Then we have gin, tequila, triple sec, uh, scotch, Canadian whiskey, bourbon, uh, triple sec, and lime juice. If you use rum, our lime juice is actually fresh lime juice, and we keep that in our refrigerated uh, section of our ice bins. That's segregated from the right. Yes, it's very important to know this. You don't put glass 
or anything else in the bin that you use your ice for your drinks. Use a little ice scoop. I always use an ice scoop or a plastic cup. You know, some you don't mind getting little bits of something in. So that's the metal scoop or plastic cup. And that's what you're scooping up with your, your ice with to go in there. You don't put anything else in there. You don't want to have anything contaminating that ice. You don't want to have the outside of an orange contain, orange juice container or something sitting in there. I've seen people put beer bottles in there. Glass beer bottles chip, right? And because you grabbed it with your hand, it's like you're sticking your hand in the ice. So you try to be pristine with that. So getting back to the speed rail, again, it's set up right to left for righties. Now, if you have more left-handed bartenders, I always suggest you set the rail from the left to right. And when I say left to right, because vodka is the most popular. It's just the way it is. And then for us, it's rum. And then it's either, you know, then you have gin. And then you have the tequila. Now, the reason why tequila is at the end, even though we use tequila a little more than we use the gin, is because we always have the triple sec right next to the tequila because you're when you're making a margarita you pour you know like uh, a, a thousand one thousand two tequila and a less than a thousand one of triple sec before you put in your lime juice agave nectar or lime juice and sour mix and make your margarita but this isn't i'm not teaching how to bartend i'm teaching how to set up your speed rail and you're just picking up and you're just getting used to where those bottles are without even really have to, to stop and look for it. So when you reach that first bottle on the right-hand side, when you're in a hurry, I'm reaching down with my, my left, you're reaching down with your right, and you pick it up. The first bottle is always going to be the vodka. And that's why it's important to put it back. A lot of times when you have multiple uh, liquors in it, like a Long Island iced tea, you use... Use vodka, gin, rum, tequila, triple sec, and that's a Long Island iced tea, actually. You got to make sure you put them back that way. And once you keep those, when you keep those bottles in the place they're supposed to be, especially when you get um, used to doing that, after you do it a couple hundreds and hundreds of times, you're just expecting that rum to be where it is. And also I have a secondary place where I have my call liquors and it's to the right of my speed rail. It's kind of like my secondary speed thing. These are the liquor bottles that I use more frequently uh, and what um, more, fre uh, more frequently than the rest of them are specialty uh, liquors. So we'll have things like we'll have our call vodkas, which will be Tito and Smirnoff. And in between that, We'll have, let's say the next thing, brandy, because you use the brandy for a sangrias. And also we pull it out and we give it to the kitchen every so often because the kitchen's right on the other side, right, right within two feet of that uh rail I'm talking about. And it's a four four-tier system, meaning we've got four rows of liquor uh, on that in that bin area I'm talking about. And behind that, I could tell you without even being there, it would be, the next one would be Captain Morgan, Crown Royal, and Bacardi uh, Rum, regular Bacardi Silver. And then up from that would you be Jack Daniels, 
I mean, I'm trying to think, Tangeray, Jim Beam. And in our back row, the fourth tier would be Dewars, Kettle, and Jamesons. Not in any particular order, because when you're reaching for the fourth one, you really got to be looking anyway. I don't know if you remember. And then I have other rails spread out. Like I have a big four rail system with about 35, uh, actually 34 bottles. And I'll have vodkas, rums, different whiskeys, and different gins in the back of that. And then I have my liqueurs. And then I have another 20 bottles or 20, 30 different bottles on our shelves above the bar. So what you're keeping close to you are the liquors that you use most frequently. And that is to accommodate speed. And that's why speed rails are so important. It's important to me. I always keep like an extra bottle of vodka off to the side near my uh, drain sink. That's where you dump ice. You dump your dirty ice into, um, we use a colander. And that's this way you don't have a bunch of straws and, and fruit just floating in the bottom of the sink. And then you regularly clean that out. It's better to show show than tell. But what I'm saying basically is the order of operation that you remember. If you remember the liquor that you use most frequently and you keep it near starting where your dominant hand is and working out to less frequently. And then you have it. the rest of the liquor is spread out further and further. The furthest away the liquor you're going to have is the one you use the least frequency with the least frequency. And that's the rule of thumb. And then you get used to it. And then, you know, you may be one of those people that do the pour first. I mean, obviously, you always if it's on the rocks, you put the ice in first. And then you do, you know, your liquor and your mixer, if there is a mixer. But if you get to the uh, level of comfort, where you're able to do the liquor and the mixer at the same time, or two liquors at the same time, with the mixer, you could do it. I've seen them. You see, there's all these quirky, tricky flair bartenders that will, you know, pour all the liquor in a long eye and iced tea, which are really, it's really hard to do all the liquors at one time because one of them, the triple sec, which is the least amount you put in, you'd have to, you know, pick up th- three bottles in one hand, two bottles in the other hand, unless you do four bottles in one hand and just, do that. And I'm sure there's people that do it. But generally, it doesn't save you much time because you got to grab all the bottles together and then you got to put them back together, back down together. So I'm a two at a time, two, two liquor bottles at a time. And I can pour two at a time. Yeah. Look at me, how important I am. But that's it. Just remember speed rails are important and it's important for speed. Once again, I'd like to tell you, if you'd like to buy some Keys Bartender gear, help support the show, go to keysbartender.com and check out our gear. Also, what did I want to talk to you about today? This was, um, I was talking to, who was I talking to? My wife, I wrote the notes down here but it's pretty much was about my perception of me um, being the old guy. Abby was, um, she was telling me about uh, this mutual acquaintance we have. 
And I said to her, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. You mean that older guy? And then I thought about it for a while. And she goes, wait a second. She goes, well, I think he's your age or a little younger. And then I said, well, I guess, am I the older guy? Am I the fucking older guy? I spent an inordinate amount of time coping with the aging process, really. It's been kind of really goofy. But um, now I'm I'm kind of figuring it out. And I have a different perspective since of the uh, my health issues and stuff like that. But I, I, I just was thinking about when I reflected about that comment, when I said, oh, yeah, you mean the older guy? And I'm thinking, oh, I said, well, maybe when people refer to me, he's the older guy. I never really understood when, um, you know, someone said, oh, that big guy over there, that big guy, it's something they're talking about me. I mean, I used to be the tall, skinny guy, you know, I guess the smaller person, the bigger I look and stuff like that. And as I got older, I got a little heavier and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not that heavy for six, four. I'm, I mean, I'm a little under six, four and I'm around 220, 222. I mean, I got up to 248. 250. That's kind of, I guess that's kind of big. But um, accepting the perception that other people have you is kind of really weird because you spend so much of your life thinking about who you, really who you are. Like when I'm, when you're born, when I was born, uh, until I was very young, I didn't even really consider that I was a kid. I, I didn't even really consider that. You were just learning stuff. And, you know, everything's new. Everything's interesting. There's there's stuff, you know, there's older people around. You see them. You got your older cousins. You got your old, older relatives, your older, um, your, you know, your, your, your parents, their friends, your old, you know, I mean, your grandparents, and then these other old people, really old people around. You know, if you're lucky, you may have a, a great-grandparent. But yeah, I'm just going along. And then it wasn't until I was really in my teens that I started being aware of my my perception on what how I'm presenting myself, what's going on. Who do you, I mean? Well, I, I, I'm a teenager, and then when it, when am I considered a man? And as a man. When I'm considered a young man, then middle age. I moved down here in 2007. I was 44. I still felt like a young guy. I mean, I was drinking like a fish, obviously. And then, you know, eventually a couple months later, I stopped drinking for about seven years. And um, and I realized I was getting middle age. I, I think in the beginning, in 2001, when I got married the first time, that's when I thought I was a man. I was 37 years old, 36, 37, 2001. I was 37. And I felt, um, well, no, actually, we, we were 63, and I was, yeah, I was 37 years old. So what? what at what point... Do I perceive to be an older guy? And then as I got older and older, and especially after separate after you're separated, and then you start talking to younger people. I mean, prior to my marriage, 
when I was in my later 20s, I dated a girl in her early 20s, and she had friends that were a couple of years younger than her. They were 20, 21, 22. I was almost 30, and she was she was 23, 24. And I started feeling a palpable sense that I was older. And then, you know, with the people I worked with and hanging out with, and you're hanging out, if you're hanging out with 19 and 20-year-olds, you realize, wow, I am getting old. You feel that. And then you get married and you're hanging out with people your age and you don't feel that. You don't feel that at all. But it's a process of feeling older. And at a point, it's just so incremental from day to day. You don't realize that you're, you know, at one point, you're sleeping all night. And then, you know, I had. Like I, if you're avid listeners, you know, I had a drinking problem for the longest time. And when I was drinking, you know, a lot in the middle of the night, I'd have to get up and go to the bathroom and stuff like that. Once I stopped drinking, I didn't have to do that. And back when I was 44, 45. But then uh, I started, uh, had, I had a weird sleep schedule. I would go, I mean, bartending late at night, I'd go to bed around 12.30, wake up around 5.30, go to the gym and work out, come home um, around 10, eat a big lunch, take a nap for two hours, and then go into work. And I was doing that all the time. So I'm not getting any more than five five hours sleep a night, but I'm doing a two-hour nap. But once that was when I lived by myself, before Abby and Skye. And then... I, when we all moved in together, I started getting on a regular sleep pattern where I go, you know, go to bed 11, maybe late 12 o'clock, 1230, one o'clock on the weekends. And then I started waking up in the middle of the night and it happened more and more. And then you have a problem getting, going back to sleep. And then you're feeling some weird aches and pains. And it's just the incremental changes are so minute. It's, it's only until the calendar really alerts you that you're getting older. When you're approaching, when I'm approaching 60, and then obviously, not to be repetitive, you can have some health events that foreshorten that perception. I mean, me passing out on the bike and not breathing for seven minutes back in March, that was shocking to me. But I didn't even realize at the time that, and the way people spoke to me afterwards, you know, I don't even really think about that. When you speak to an older person and you're calling them sir, and it's almost, it's similar to infantilizing adults when you start saying, oh, that's sweet, that's cute, that's that. And you know, I'm like, I want to tell people, say, I'm a man. I work hard. I work out hard. I don't party hard anymore. Obviously, don't party hard. But yeah, who? No one wants to be treated again like a child once they've reached majority. You know, when you're 21, I don't need. I don't need that kind of thing. But it happens. It happens, and 
these imp- com, uh, going from a person that never took any, I was 59, never took any uh, medication. Now I'm on four medications. Went like that. And that always reminded me of older people that you're going to have to count. You're going to have to remember four, four medications. And then you're going to have to take two of those in the evening too. So you got to remember that too. And you got to remember, you say, oh, well, listen, I'm going to go on a trip. I got to better use the bathroom now. I've actually, I'm, it's actually been pretty, pretty good. I'm taking some kind of Sawgrass supplement. So I don't have to pee as much as I, I do. I'm actually able to do between destinations, not having to stop. That's always a sweet deal. But you know, the hair's graying and stuff like that. You're fighting to battle the bulge all the time when you get older. You know, your body isn't the same composition that it was. And like I said, these health events really are poignant, the pointing that out. But what also is poignant, once I was approaching that age, I was getting a little depressed. And after my health event, I heard people saying how lucky I was, how lucky I was to be around, how quickly I made the recovery. And now I'm doing my, I'm still doing my stuff right now. Yeah, I'm not the person I was when I was 44, 16 years ago. But I'm not far off from it. You know, I have more a couple more restrictions and things like that, but I'm still able to do it. And um, like today, I taught my spin class in the morning. Uh, I'm going to be teaching one. I'm filling in for somebody at 630 tonight. I'm going to go in a little early and work out a bit. So the way that made me feel a little different, at least for me, and it's one thing you won't be, hopefully you won't have this life-changing event like I had in March. But once I start thinking about it, when I told, when everyone's telling me, hey, you're lucky to be here, blah, 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 you're lucky it happened there. You're lucky that, you know, you had these uh, nurses around you, you know, like uh, Tracy, Sandy, um, uh, Kathleen. You know, they were all Kathleen who who ran the code team and Tracy who first responded when I went down. I was in the hospital when it happened. And they brought me back and I made a quick recovery and I had a good cardiologist and I had a supportive family and a supportive community, a supportive employer, I was, the supportive listeners. And then I thought, wow, I really wasn't supposed to be here right now. If it had happened, if the thing that happened in March happened any place else, any place else that other than in the hospital, there was a very good chance that that would have been it. I would have reached forty nine, and now, so as I reflect that, it could be a scary thing. But if you look on it that, every moment I had after that was a bonus. I mean, speaking to you right now, being able to um, spend time with my family, my beautiful wife, my lovely daughter, my my uh, extended family, the wedding I went to for my for my niece when I got to see my brothers and sisters, 
in the, in the summer. All these experiences I've had since March are bonus experiences I didn't have. And I don't have to like dwell on it because I said, you know, I died already. That's the way I view it. And people say, well, that's not exactly what happened. Well, you know what? It's my perspective. And that perspective helps me cope with the idea of getting older. Now, when something happens, they go, well, listen, I'm not really not supposed to be here anyway. So, you know, I got to do this or do that. That's, you know, I'm just lucky to be here. And I see older people that are still, I mean, when I say older in their 80s and 90s, still out and about doing what they really love or things they like doing. And that's the kind of tact I'm going to take. Attack, actually, not tact. Tact is more, say, to speak to someone with tact, where tack is like a sailing term where you tack and go to a different direction to catch the wind, to go, go forward. So I am truly grateful that they had that, that we have that. And I'm truly grateful to, be, have, to get older right now. Yeah, I mean, I could, you could, I could dwell on the, the the drawbacks of having medication because I was really depressed a week and a half ago, two and a half weeks ago, when um, no, what was it? Last was it last? It was last Friday or Wednesday? Well, whatever day it was, I think it was Wednesday. Yeah, it was Wednesday when I went to the doctors. And they told me, he says, listen, you're probably going to be on uh, at least two of these medications for the rest of your life. We might review after a year, two of the other ones. But who knows what happens? I might be on another one after that. They may add one. I, I don't, I, I, you know, I always had a sneaking, uh, that, and I'll finish this, I always had a sneaking suspicion that the medical profession and big pharma they kind of like say, listen, when you're on this medication, you're going to have to take it the rest of your life. Because I think a pharmaceutical company, the best profit uh, model would be if you put someone on a medication, have to stay on it the rest of their life. And then you have to, you know, someone's going to be paying for it. And they're going to be making a profit. You don't want too many people saying, well, we take care. This took care of that problem. You don't need it anymore. They they try not. You know, the only thing they have is like uh, the the antibiotics. Or pain relief, any other pain relievers you don't want to have people taking forever. But the other ones, when they're treating some chronic, something chronic, you know. But I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm not going to be depressed on it because, I, yes, if I look at it that way, I can be depressed. But if I look at it the way where I'm not really supposed to be here and then every moment that I've had since then was a gift, then I'm doing pretty good. Now, I hope you do pretty good. Now, if you have, uh, there's a point in your life, you say, well, listen, I almost died at that point. Or something really changed and, and, and I'm still here. You're, that's a good perspective to have. I mean, gen or generally, you could just have a great perspective. Just do that. But if you do, if you, if you do have a hard time coping with the aging process, think of it that way. Think of that, you know, I don't really have to be here right now. I, I wouldn't have to be, I wouldn't be here if this hadn't happened. That could be like really kind of like a, a positive vibe that kind of push you 
give you momentum going forward. That's all I have to say. Thank you very much. Thank you for all of you for listening. And thank you for the people that are purchasing the gear on the keysbartender.com website. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Bye.